Turn to Acts 1, please. Let's read the whole of Acts. No, no. Uh, <laughs> Acts chapter 1. Uh, we're going to read it in a minute. <clears throat> By the way, can I just, as we turn in there, can I just, just point out, just so it's clear, for the members meeting this Wednesday, that's for all of those who, you know, made that commitment to membership, but also those who are just walking with us, working things through at the moment, maybe haven't got, written the letter yet, but you know, this is, you, you're working it through with us. And maybe those who Trevor was referring to, who you, you hadn't realized you want to be involved, you haven't done the letter and stuff like that, you're still welcome to join us on that journey of walking it through with us. And uh, we trust you'll get that place where you're able to do that. Okay, Acts chapter 1. There was, is that somebody on the phone for me? Is it? Oh, it's okay. Um, I, actually, one, a Hollywood mogul, a great old filmmaker, was once asked, uh, how, do you, how do you make a great blockbuster film? And uh, he said, well, you have great musical accompaniment to, be, to begin with, but then um, great theme, soundtrack. And then uh, he says, you start with an earthquake and a, and a, and a, and a big fire and falling buildings and, and people trapped. And he says, and then you work upwards from there to a climax. Now, the book of Acts doesn't begin like that. It has claim to be, if you like, the blockbuster of the New Testament because so much happens in it. You know, great outpourings of the Holy Spirit, great advances in mission. There's earth... Well, yeah, there's an earthquake, isn't it? Because the doors get shaken open and the, and the shipwrecks. There's all kinds of drama. But it starts with just Jesus and his followers, his disciples... Okay, the ascension is pretty dramatic, I'll grant you that, but, but it's just talking to them. In fact, they're saying, because I think they feel as though, shouldn't we be doing something really dramatic? Is now the time to restore the kingdom? And Jesus says, no, you don't need to know the time, you just need to wait for the Holy Spirit to come in. Now, then, it, then it gets dramatic, then it gets blockbuster rich, and the Holy Spirit comes. But to begin with, it's just Jesus. And in fact, one of the first things that happens in, the, in, the, uh, in Acts chapter 1 is they have a business meeting. It's hardly blockbuster stuff. Who's going to replace Judas? You know? um, when you think of Acts, have you ever thought this? Who, who is the actor in Acts? I don't mean, you know, alas, poor Yorick and all that. I don't mean that. Who is, who, who is the one who acts? Whose acts are they? In the, you, if you look at your traditional Bibles, they'll often say they're called the Acts of the Apostles. Eh, I'm not convinced by that. A lot of people have said it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. That's getting closer, I think. But, but look at this, in Acts chapter 1 it says this, because this was a two-parter. This is, Luke and Acts, they're, they're written by the same guy, they, they come in two parts, it's like, it's like the main film and the sequel. You, and that's it, we stop there, it's not like Star Wars that goes on forever, you know, with lots of sequels and prequels, it's just there's two-parters, there's Luke and Acts. But it says this in, I'm not going to say bad things about Star Wars by the way, because I know there's some Star Wars fans in here, I can't stand it myself, but anyway, in... in, in Sorry, sorry. So I've already said it, haven't I? I've said it. So, so the writer, Luke, Dr. Luke, is writing and says this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. There's a clue right there. Luke was about what Jesus began to do. Acts is about what Jesus continues to do. These are the acts of Jesus. In Luke, it's about the acts of Jesus in his physical human body, in Acts, it's the acts of Jesus through his spiritual body, the church. That's what's happening in Acts. It's the acts of Jesus through his body, the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
That's why we said our emphasis right now as we move into the future is that we are a family, a church family, but a family that's turned outwards on a mission to the nations, on a mission to this broken world uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what we want to do is we want to embody Jesus. We want to our mission to be incarnational so that when people see and experience the church, it's like they're experiencing Jesus. These are the acts of Jesus through his church, and we've been called to participate in it together. So Christ and the church are intertwined as you read the book of Acts. Now, I want you, we're going to look at one of the acts. Well, actually, the aftermath of one of the acts. It's the same one that... that um, Dan shared with us a couple of weeks ago. Dan, this fantastic word about just being captivated by Jesus again. Just rediscovering your first love. It's all about Jesus. That was fantastic. And he read of this passage where the the crippled man is healed at the gate beautiful, yeah, in Acts chapter 4. And then, um, because it's causing a bit of a riot, the disciples who were responsible for it get called before the Sanhedrin. Or the Sanhedrin. And um, we're going to read from, well, they just, they just told the uh, Sanhedrin, this is Peter. He said, look, filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 8, chapter 4, verse 8. Rulers and elders of people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ. Of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God has raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, who has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no other, in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven through which man may be saved. And when the Sanhedrin saw this, they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I just want you to notice that. These men had been with Jesus. What gave them this great boldness? They had been with Jesus. Let me read it to you from the message, Eugene Peterson's version. He puts it like this. The Sanhedrin looking at Peter and John. They couldn't take their eyes from them. Peter and John, standing there so confident, so sure of themselves, their fascination deepened when they realized these two were laymen with no training in scripture or formal education. They recognized them as companions of Jesus. They recognized them as companions of of Jesus, but with the man right before them, seeing him standing there so upright, so healed, same word as saved, that was just used a moment ago, so healed that they, what could they say against it? But I want you to know, in the NIV it says, they took note that they'd been with Jesus. Eugene Peterson puts it like this. They took note that they were companions of Jesus. I, very often, Andy, I forget what title Oh, I can't think of a title, or my titles are like so long. So I've got my title. The title today is Companions of Jesus. You can write that down. Companions of Jesus. You see, the great actions, the great drama, the great blockbuster stuff that happens in the book, the mission, the shit, all the, the, the persecution, the, the great advances of the gospel to the nations. 
It all springs from people who had been with Jesus. They were companions of Jesus. Everything. I hope we're going to preach on over the weeks and months to come some of the great dramatic things. But it all starts here. People who are companions of Jesus. Dan talked about being captivated by Jesus. I want to talk about then... From that position of being captivated by Jesus, and it must start that he is, we've sung about him today, he's the beautiful one. He's the one who's so worthy of our worship. We're captivated by Jesus, but then it goes on from being captivated by Jesus to becoming companions of Jesus. When I was, um, when I was uh, first a Christian, I mean, many um, years ago now, I've been a Christian maybe about, I don't know, just a little over six months and I had the opportunity to go um, on a beach mission, a scripture union beach mission, where we were going to share the gospel with children on the, on the beach, and we'd have these little holiday clubs. I, I've never confessed this to Karen, that I've actually done children's work before. I'm just going to keep quiet about that. You know? I wasn't very good at it, okay? But I do remember when it was first, and I remember I'm a, new, I'm a young Christian, and we've got these kids, we're trying to teach them the gospel, and... And the guy who was leading it, Andy, he played the guitar and he was great. And he taught them this song, a song that has stayed with me. I've never heard it since. I don't know whether they just made it up for that little holiday club or whatever, but I've never heard it since. But it's a line in it, a line in it that stayed with me. And it's just simply this, walking and talking and living with Jesus, letting him show me the way. And I haven't come across a better description or definition of the Christian life since then. That's 35 years ago or something. Walking and talking and living with Jesus, letting him show me the way. Is that a famous children's song that I just didn't know about? Or is that, no, it's just, maybe they, they just did it. I also, at that time, I was part of, a, I was part of a, an old Baptist church. And we used to, one of my favorite hymns we used to sing was, When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. And just the whole thing of just walking with the Lord, being a companion of Jesus has just struck me ever since. And notice, by the way, it's not, we're companions of Jesus. It's not Jesus' companions of us. Now, I'm not just being fussy here. Um, It's one thing to bring Jesus into our lives. You know, Jesus, just help me with this job. It's really difficult. Or, I don't know, help me with this person because... They're driving me crazy or what have you, or, or Lord, I need this. And, and, and you know, you, you walk through life and you bring Jesus in on, what's, on stuff that's happening to you. That's, 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 that's not a bad thing. But there's something even better. And that's to be a companion of Jesus, to let him lead the way. And we're following him. We're learning his ways. Again, I like the way Eugene Peterson puts it. It's, it's in, it's probably not worth you turning it in your Bibles unless you've got the message, of course, on you. But, of course, you've got everything. You've got your phone, but uh, I forgot that. But um, in 1 Peter chapter 1, he's talking about living a holy life. And you know, don't, don't get religious about holiness. Holiness is about seeking to show in our outward lives how beautiful Jesus is. It's the beauty of holiness. And, 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 but Eugene Peterson is translating this whole thing about living a holy life. And he just says this. He says, don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, just doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then, but you do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life 
shaped by God's life. A life energetic and blazing with holiness. Do you hear that bit? And, you know, maybe we'll get thrown by the evil. You think, well, I'm not evil. But, you know, we can all just lazily slip back into the old grooves, just doing what we feel like doing. It's about what we want to do. And he says, no, go, go one better than that. If you're going to be a companion of Jesus, he says, let him pull you into a way of life shaped by his life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. I want that, don't you? A kind of life that's shaped by his life. And that comes from being companions of Jesus. You know, when he, Jesus first called his disciples to follow him, he says, follow me and I will make you. I know he says, I will make you fishers of men. And we've perhaps focused on that. That's just because that's what their job was. They were fishers. He said that the key thing is this, follow me and I will make you. And follow me doesn't like follow me at a distance. It means walk with me. Walk with me and I will make you. If you are going to be a companion of Jesus and walk with Jesus, be prepared that he's going to work on you. To walk with Jesus means you're going to let him work on you. Sometimes, we call honest, he's not just worked on me, he's worked me over, it's felt like sometimes. Because sometimes he pummels and it's like, just to change the metaphor, he's like the, the, the potter with the clay, isn't he? And he's just kind of, I'm going to shape you and form you into what I want you to be like. Companions of Jesus get shaped into his way of life. Um, you know, captivated by Jesus is good. It's great. We must start there. But I don't know if many of you can remember, some of you are probably too young, Harry Enfield. Remember Harry Enfield? And he used to have one of his funny characters. He used to have this, two, this lovey-dovey couple. And they used to constantly stare into one another's faces and say... Um, we love each other. We love each other. Remember that one? Is that, is that just me? No, they just used to stare at one another. We love each other. This really sickening, lovey-dovey stuff. Well, we don't do that with Jesus, you know. Not all of our... I mean, don't get me wrong. It's beautiful. It, it's beautiful to stand. It's what you do, isn't it? You two, look, they're doing it now. Look, say, we love each other. No. <laughs> and it's, but it's, it's, not, it's not like that with Jesus. Of course, we gaze into his beauty at times. But we walk, not just face to face, you're going to fall over. You walk side by side. And as we walk side by side, we're pulled into his way of life. You know what this is called these days, by the way, you can read about this. It's kind of a bit of a buzzword, but it's a good word. It's, It's a good phrase. It's spiritual formation. Spiritual formation, which basically, putting it simply, is this. It's becoming like Jesus by being with Jesus. Becoming like Jesus by being with Jesus. It's a totally biblical concept. Romans 8 verse 29 says, we are predestined. That's mean God's plan beforehand. We are predestined, purposed to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, as we gaze here, we are gazing on his face. We are transformed from glory to glory. And Paul writing to the Galatians, he says, you know, I'm in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Talking to the church and every leader knows that pain. I'm in the pain of childbirth because I want to see God's people grow to become more and more like Jesus. Spiritual formation in Christ 
is about becoming like Jesus by being with Jesus, being a companion of Jesus who's then pulled into his way of life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, the call to discipleship is a call to change. If you want to follow Jesus, you've got to be prepared. He's going to change you along the way. And sometimes it'll be difficult and challenging and painful because he's pulling you, shaping you and forming you into his way of life. It's for this reason about the way, you know, that I think in the book of Acts, the church and the Christian faith itself was known to begin with as the way. You read about it in Acts 9, Acts 19, it's known as the way. Later on, in Antioch, they became known as Christians, but to begin with, they were called the way. And I don't think it's just because Jesus was the way in terms of pointing them to the destination, heaven or God. He was the way in terms of teaching us the way to live as we walk through this life. He'd already said, remember John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. By the way, I think we need to get that. We need to be sure we get that in the right order. Because often we want the life. The life comes by knowing him, knowing the truth, not just about him, but who he is. And that doesn't happen until you follow his ways. I am the way. You follow his ways. Then you know the truth. You discover who he is and the life. Then you're released into his life. That's why in John chapter 8, when he's talking to the Pharisees, he says... um, If you obey me, that is, if you follow my ways, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free to do what? Free to go into his life, to experience his life. It's always that way. If you want to know more of Jesus, walk his way, walk with him, be a companion of Jesus, and it will release you into the life he's got for you. We live, my friends, in a different kingdom, and we live a different way from the ways of the world. But it doesn't come by us just trying to learn what they are and follow them. It comes by living as a companion of Jesus. John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says this. This is how we know that we're in him. This is how we know that we live in Jesus, that we live with Jesus as his companions. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. The old translations put it better, I think. Whoever claims to live in Jesus must walk as Jesus walked. We must walk his way. Spiritual formation is living the Jesus way. This is all prefigured, by the way, in the Old Testament. Moses, the famous passage where Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. And we need that. We need, like we've experienced this morning, again, we just need those moments of encounter with God where we just see his glory. We just, just wait and, 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 and dwell in his glory and his presence. But Moses said something else. He prayed something else at the same time. Did you know that? He said, Lord, teach me your ways that I may know you and continue to find favor in your sight. I don't just want moments of glory. I want a way of life filled with glory. I want to be a carrier of his glory. And the way we do that is by saying, Lord, teach me your ways that I may know you and follow you. So much I would like to say about, for example, the use of the Bible in knowing his ways. One of the tools that he uses to shape us is the Bible, but don't, don't use it as a map. 
Not, don't just, just use it as a map. You ever been walking in the hills with somebody who's just constantly looking at the map? Maybe there's some people here today, so I like that. I don't want to have a go at them. Yeah, yeah, I think we're here. Yes, I think we've come along this path. Yes, and now, now we're here. And if we go down this path here, for goodness sake, can you just leave the map alone and enjoy my company? Looks you know, privileged to be with me, you know, you say, and enjoy the landscape. Don't use the Bible like, oh, this is where we're here. My doctrine now. No, no, no. It's it's. It's enjoy the landscape of salvation. Enjoy the landscape of this beautiful kingdom that we've been brought into and walk with Jesus. However, the Bible is good for helping us to shape us. And I compare it less to a map. You do use it to get your bearings sometimes. But more like a, a guidebook or even better, a history or a story of the area you're in. So one of the things I did last summer to help me to relax is something I don't always find it easy to do. So I went away for a few days to my home stomping ground of the Wirral. Those who don't know, it's 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 not the same as Liverpool. Okay, it's it's separate from Liverpool. It's <laughs> by a merge. Nothing against Liverpool, but it's not the same as Liverpool. And I went to the Wirral, and, and my mother brought me a history of the Wirral. And it was great. I loved reading it. And, and I would go walking in different parts of the world that I'd known, many places that I'd been to before. But now because I'd read about it, I even read how the, how the Wirral Peninsula was formed by glaciers and ice and stuff, you know. And, 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 and I thought, oh, I went to school in that level, playing there between these two lots of mountains. Well, not mountains, you know, mountains in the Wirral, but hills, you know. And, and, and suddenly this place that was familiar to me took on a whole new I don't know, a way of understanding it because I would read the story. And we need that with the Bible sometimes, that the Bible gets us to understand the landscape of salvation that we're in and who it is that we're walking with. It's a little bit like, I, wasn't, I was going to leave this bit out, and I'm glad I didn't, it seems right. Um, the, the, um, uh, the disciples in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus, they'd lost their way. They'd lost Jesus. They thought, we had hoped. And then Jesus comes alongside them. He is willing to be their companion for a little, but at the, at the same time, he's pulling them into his way. Because what does he do? He takes the scriptures and he teaches them all about himself from the scriptures. And my friends, we need the scriptures. It's not as a map or a rule book, but we need that as a story that helps us to draw us closer to Jesus and to make sense of this walk, of this companionship, and of this walk through the landscape of salvation. We do need the scriptures. In fact, Alison had a prophetic word, I think it was very important during the, the prayer and fasting time, it, based on Elijah, the words from the angel to Elijah when he was about to give up. He said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. We need to be a people in this new day that we're coming into who are familiar with the stories of scripture and who are fed and, and nurtured and nourished and sustained by scripture. It's one of the main ways in which God uses to pull us back onto his way. Okay. I'm going to just finish with three very three quick points to help you. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, a companion of Jesus, realizing that when you follow him, he makes you, he forms and shapes you as you walk with him as his companion. Three things. One is the passion for the way. This is expressed most fully and most, I think, most expertly by Paul, who was not on the way. He was actually, one of the, the, the references to the way in the book of Acts is about Paul persecuting those who were in the way, as it were, the, the way of Christ. 
And uh, so Jesus, when he's going his way, Jesus knocks him off his horse, shows him his glory. And that's why we need that sometimes. We need those encounters with God just knock us off our horse. But then he becomes a great follower of the way. And he expresses it. Remember, I've said the way, spiritual formation, is about becoming like Jesus by being with Jesus. And this is Paul's words in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death so that I may somehow become, uh, so I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Leave the bit about death and resurrection for a moment. I'll say something about that in a minute. But this, listen to this. I want to know Christ and to become like him. That's the heart and the passion of a follower of Christ. I want to know him and I want to become like him. About 18 months ago, I was praying and I was facing and talking to God about some plans that I'd had and dreams that I'd had that I thought, well, they don't look like they're ever going to happen now, God. I think I've lost those ones. And of course, a lot of, I've had lots of preaching. I've done preaching myself. They say, "Oh no, you, God wants your dead dreams to live, and to, and to, and to you, you're going to they're going to be restored to you." Well, they may or they may not, because what I found myself praying was this, and I think it came from the Holy Spirit. I said, "Lord, what if Christ-likeness was my only goal? What if Christ-likeness was my only dream? I want to know you, and I want to become like you." I I want to encourage you to dream and have plans and aspirations. That's fine. But what if you just said, Lord, whatever else happens, even if some of those things don't happen, I just want to know you and I want to become like you. What if Christ-likeness was your only dream? So that's the first thing, a passion and a heart to know him and become like him. The second thing is realize the pattern, which is in the same verse. If you're going to follow Jesus, what it involves. I want to know Christ And the power of his resurrection, but also the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death in order to attain to the resurrection. If you're going to follow Jesus, Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross. Following Jesus does involve sharing in his sufferings. Um, Following his way, it means you've got to deny yourself, die to self, a hundred times a day. And you'd rather react in a certain way and tell people exactly what you think. You've got to say, Lord, that's not his way. And he's pulling you into a way of life shaped by his way, not our own way. So we've got to be prepared to take up our cross. So passion, I want to know him, but recognize the pattern. And when you're recognizing the pattern that you've got to be prepared to lay down, you know, it's about death and resurrection. And I believe the Holy Spirit told me there's people here today who need to let go of certain things who need to put certain things down. It could be attitudes, ways of thinking. Uh, it could be dreams. Because you're never going to experience them in resurrection while you're still holding on to them. You have to let them go. But as we're contemplating that thing, oh yeah, this is tough, Lord, isn't it? I want to quote to you the words of a martyr, Jim Elliot. He died for his faith. He said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, his life, to gain what he cannot lose. You know, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, his life, to gain what he cannot lose, his life. You lose your life, 
in order to find it. So guess what? We do well in this bargain. We sometimes talk about, oh, you've got to count the cost. Are you prepared to die with Jesus? Are you prepared to take up your cross? Do you know what? We, we benefit. When we're counting the cost, counting the cost doesn't mean, oh, am I prepared to suffer? It just means counting the cost. Why? He's the pearl of great price. I'm prepared to lay down everything in order to have him. Which brings me on to the final thing. If you want to be prepared to follow him and to be a companion of him and be shaped by him, the, posi- the way you position yourself is through humility. The psalmist says, the psalmist says um, he teaches, he guides the humble as what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. It's humility. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Take up his yoke. His yoke is easy and, is, and light. It doesn't need to be the heavy burden. In fact, there was a preacher many centuries ago called Samuel Rutherford. He said this, The cross is such a burden, just as sails are to a ship and wings are to a bird. Taking up your cross helps you to fly into, this, into his life. I tell you what's a greater burden. This is why Jesus says, come to me all you are heavy laden. A greater burden is you trying to prove yourself to people. A greater burden is us trying to make a name for ourselves. That's a greater burden. But taking up his cross, denying ourselves, following him, walking through this life, walking through this world with Jesus, walking and talking and living with Jesus, letting him show us the way. That's a beautiful life. That's not a burden. It only becomes a burden if we fight against it. It's the best life. It's the most beautiful life walking through this life as companions of Jesus. And everything that we're going to read about and hear about in the great exploits in the book of Acts starts there. They noted that they were companions of Jesus. So if you're a companion of Jesus, or you want to be, can I ask you to stand right now? Jesus, we want to do great exploits for you. We want you to use us in in mighty ways. We want to fulfill great dreams, Lord, that you've placed in our heart. We want all of that. But what we want most of all, and what we want to go after most of all, is just to be your friend, Jesus. Be your follower. To walk with you. To be companions of Jesus. So, Lord, as we we fellowship together over a meal now, bless us. Uh, We thank you for the food. We thank you for those who've prepared it for us. Just bless us together. And then as we go forth from this place, let us, all of us, go forth as your companions, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 We'll finish there, folks. Thank you.